Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hey there. Hey, Dennis Quaid is here. That's right. And guess what? I have a podcast. It's called The Denissance, and I think you should listen. I'm having some really cool conversations with some really interesting people like music legend Billy Ray Cyrus, housewife of Beverly Hills, Garcelle Bouvet, and many, many more. Listen to The Denissance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Dennis Quaid, and I want to tell you about a new show I've produced that I know you're going to love. It's called The Pet Show, and well, it's a show about pets, dogs, cats, snakes, birds, and our relationship with these animals. It's the podcast with a purpose. Listen to The Pet Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, do you use an electric toothbrush? Well, I can honestly tell you, Quip is the best electric toothbrush in the whole world. Take it from me, I've been using this toothbrush for many years. It's incredible. Makers of the Quip electronic toothbrush want you to know that one single discovery that matters most for your dental care, it's simply this, that if you have good habits, you are good. Join over 3 million healthy mouths and get Quip today, starting at $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash J right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash J, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash J. Quip, the good habits company. And let me talk about this toothbrush for just a moment here, guys. I have been in... (laughs) obviously, in this game for quite a while. I've used many, many different electronic toothbrushes. This is the best one. It has a timer built in, so while you're brushing your teeth, after 30 seconds, you know to move it. You don't have to think about it. It charges automatically. It's super portable. You can take it anywhere. I'm obsessed with this toothbrush. I've been using this toothbrush for many years. I love it. Trust me when I say go out and use this thing. You'll love it. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find the ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, welcome to the show. This is Scott Lips and you are listening to another episode of Lip Service. This is a story about people's past, their journeys, how they made it. And I'm very excited today for today's guest, Jay Shetty. Jay is a former monk. He's a podcaster and he is a storyteller with the idea of having all his stuff go viral. Wisdom goes viral. So he, uh, truth be told, we actually live in the same neighborhood. We see each other all the time. This guy's story is so fascinating. Went to business school, actually went to a seminar that a monk actually gave. And before you know it, he moved to India, became a monk for about three years, 
and uh, he has one of the most fascinating stories about actually having wisdom go viral. So we're going to talk about everything he's appeared on the Ellen DeGeneres show, the Today Show, 7 billion views. This guy's a powerhouse. He is one of the most important motivational speakers right now. I'm very excited that I'm on the show today. We'll talk about his podcast on purpose. We'll talk about the fact that it was Forbes 30 under 30. And we can't forget the fact that this guy has 7 billion views in just a few years of starting this whole thing. Coming up in just a moment, Mr. Jay Shetty. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. My guest today is the amazing Jay Shetty. Uh, we're actually friendly. You know, we live in very close proximity. Um, and Jay, if you guys do not know, is an incredible speaker, formerly Monk. So we're going to speak about all this stuff. We want to talk about your whole path, Forbes 30 into 30, which is incredible. And I want to talk about your whole path and your journey today. Um, you grew up in, uh, in London and in India, right? And I want to talk about where you grew up and your family and your whole story. So take me back to the beginning and kind of how you grew up in your family upbringing and how you got into all this. Yeah, absolutely, man. First of all, really grateful to be here. It's, thanks it's for, great to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad that we're finally doing this. Yes, me too. And we live, we live very close to each other. We live we in always, the same place. We always see each other, but we really don't talk much because I was saving all this for the podcast. So. <laughs> yeah, we bump into each other at the gym. We do, we do. So, so we both know we work out. So I'm like, okay, here's someone. Anyway, but, <laughs> but I was saying it's almost inappropriate to talk to each other when you're on the treadmill, right? So. Yeah, my, my trainer's always trying to overwork me too, so he, yeah. he keeps me from getting distracted. But yeah, so I was born and raised in London. Mm. North London, to be precise, for anyone who knows London well. It's uh, an incredible place to grow up. My mother moved to London when she was 16 years old. So she actually grew up in Yemen. And to keep her British passport, when Yemen got its independence, she moved to the UK. So she moved there since she was 16. So she's lived there for a long time. My father moved there when he married my mom when he was about, I think, like 28 or something like that. And so I was born and raised in London. I was a obedient kid. I was a teacher's pet. I was like the ideal son until age 14 when I decided to go rogue, when I thought... You started rebelling. I started rebelling. I was just like, I want to, you know, up until 14, I was getting good grades, working really hard, but I was bullied for being overweight. I grew up overweight and I was also bullied uh, for being one of the few Indians in school as well. So I experienced a lot of racism growing up in my area. And we should say it's hard to imagine you being bullied because when we look at you now, great looking guy, piercing eyes, (laughs) the picture of health, and we could never picture you even being overweight. So growing up like you did, I mean, was it hard in that sense that did you, you feel like this sort of led to where you are today? Because in the end of the day, you're like you're a motivational speaker. So you must have taken some of this and maybe applied yourself and really gotten into books and education, I guess, at a young yeah. age because you were bullied, I would imagine. Yeah, I think when you're bullied when you're young, you don't know how to process it. But what it did for me, and I think it does a lot of different things, and I don't think we should avoid what it does to other people. But for me... It just gave me a deep sense of empathy and compassion for people, no matter what their challenge was. Because I remember being that kid who couldn't climb out of a swimming pool at school Mm. and was laughed at because I couldn't pull myself out. And that didn't make me bitter towards anyone. But what it made me was like, I should never feel I'm better than anyone else. So rather than bullying make me bitter, 
It just made me recognize that I didn't feel I was better than anyone. And I always wanted to live that way where I tried to create this equality with friends and family. I never wanted anyone to feel that I thought I was better than them or that they were better than me. I was like, let's just be friends. Like, yeah. let's just be on the same level. And so for me, I think it boosted my compassion and empathy. And I think... Did you have a lot of friends growing up? Because you were bullied, but did you... Did people... Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. I, so what happened is, and I don't think I've ever shared this before, so it's good. Yeah. It's, I'm glad you're digging in. Dig, yeah. dig as much yeah, as you like. Yeah, it's course. good for me. So I became friends this is the weirdest thing so i was the overweight kid bullied at school beaten up a lot when i was younger mm. and somehow i managed to become friends this is in elementary school we call it primary school in england i managed to become friends with the toughest kid in school i have no idea his name's ian uh we ian, I, if you're I, there shout out yeah to you right ian, now. like you know <laughs> i and i became like his best mate and so he would back me up every time the bullies would come after me and he was the toughest kid in school like no one messed with him mm. he you know i think he did like kickboxing on the side he was like one of the you know he was, seven he, foot five he, he wasn't actually that big he okay. was he was he was a small kid but just that, a tough kid you would never want to mess with ian like that's how that's how strong yeah. he was and so he became my best friend at primary school he would back me up in every fight and i still remember that and it's funny i actually haven't thought about that for so long but i look back and i think wow i'm so grateful that i had a friend like him yeah who when I was getting bullied on, he would step in and be like, don't mess with him, he's my friend. And so, yeah, it's, I, I think for me, the work that I do now definitely comes from a place of compassion and empathy of I've been there, I've been through it. I haven't been through everything, but I've been through some things. And I want to help people realize that they don't need to judge themselves or limit themselves and that they can grow and become who they want to be too. Did you get, was education a path for you because you were bullied? Was it like, hey, listen, I'm going to, my head's going to go deep into books. I'm going to just read as much as I can and hopefully pull myself out of this with education. I think that was the Indian thing. So okay. Indian parents are very much focused on mm. a child's education. So when I was young, it was like grades were God. Like that's all that mattered in the world. What did they and, want you to be, your family? Well, my parents, I, I often joke that they have two op three options growing up. I could either be a doctor, a lawyer, or a failure. Like those were my three options, and I, I chose the third one. But my parents, always very encouraging, but very academically focused. And now when I look back, like I didn't like that as a kid. But hey, if there's any kids listening, or if you're a parent listening, you can play it to your kids. I am so grateful they did that because I'm like being an entrepreneur, having to work in business, having to navigate life. It's super useful to have a good academic background. So, and you actually thanks got to my parents. You actually got suspended, which yeah. no one can actually believe <laughs> if they know you because now you're out there sort of, again, like wisdom is going viral because of you. So no one would ever imagine that you would actually get suspended. So, so when my friends from, so, so in primary school, in elementary school, I was a good kid. It's secondary school where I started rebelling. And yeah, you're right. Like my friends, when they saw what I was doing now, my friends from when I was 16, when they see what I'm doing now, they're like, what Like, what happened to you? Like they don't get it because yeah. I'm literally the opposite of what I was then. Now I was never, I would never consider myself to be a bad person. I don't think I ever had any bad or negative intentions. I was just being a 16 year old, but experimenting, messing around, making mistakes. My school suspended me three times. And what was the reason? Because just oh, I mean, like, you, like it leaning was back like, in your like chair? Getting, getting, no, no, no. Like <laughs> getting involved in fights. Oh, really? Um, yeah, getting into trouble with just like petty things here and there. Uh, picking on teachers. Like just, just like now when I look back, I'm actually embarrassed at who I was. And I look back and, and feel so bad for the way I behaved with people. And that's why I think no matter how much I'm grateful for the growth of what I'm doing. My anchors are always there. Like I feel humbled by the fact that I've acted like a complete idiot at one point in my yeah. life. And I, and I love those moments because I can look back and think, oh, so yeah, it's just, 
Yeah, and you, just, you grew up, you had a sister, right? You have I have a, a younger sister, sister younger about sister. four and a half years younger than me. And okay. she's, she's an angel. She's a good kid. She, uh, she didn't get into any of this. Uh, I, I feel like I, I was somewhat of a dad to her growing up too. And I, I treat her like my child, and even was, though she's only four and a half years Yeah, was younger. your family sort of pushing you to go the academic route? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. my parents were definitely pushing me to go the academic route. But I, I very early on had an intuitive check on what I believed I loved. And so for me, academically, I loved art and design, philosophy, and economics. Those were my three favorite subjects growing up. And I just naturally leaned towards them, and I performed well at those, whereas I didn't do as well at physics and chemistry and biology and all that kind of stuff because I just didn't have any interest. So I always leaned into what I loved. So you're growing up, you, you take an interest, and in, you actually end up going to business school, right? And at a certain point, I heard this great story that there's all these CEOs that are coming to speak at your school. And at one point, I mean, kind of walk us through what happened, right? Because it's a really fascinating story how you came to eventually become a monk. Yeah. Because this is not a normal path for someone that's growing up. And, you know, obviously this is not something that you would ever think someone going to business school would take that turn and go into that lane, right? Literally, if anyone ever told me that one day you're going to become a monk, I probably would have, like, laughed at them <laughs> right. and, and thrown my bottle of alcohol at them. Yeah. Like, like, you would have just been like, what are you talking about? So for me, it was, yeah, I used to love hearing rags to riches stories. I still do. When I see a movie that says, based on a true story, I'm all in. Like, I love hearing about people who've overcome challenges and pain. And by the way, your story in a bit is rags to riches because at a certain point we'll, we'll go through it, but you were broke at a certain point too. Yeah, I, which... I definitely was. And, and I'm still on my way up and, and learning and growing at the same time. But yeah, I, I've been at that end. And so at that time in my life, I wasn't broke. I was just living with my parents. Like a well-to-do middle-class family? Would I wouldn't say, say well-to-do. I'd, I'd say like um, middle-class and just like in my family, we always had just enough. Okay. Like, that was our mantra. We had just enough of everything. Like, could you buy everything you wanted? No, 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 no okay. definitely not. I had to wait. You know, I remember getting my first mobile phone when I was 15 years old, and it was like a brick Sony Ericsson, the one All with right, the long yeah, antennas. Like, things, it wasn't yeah. anything cool. And and I worked. Like, I started working when I was 14 years old. So I was a paper boy at 14. Mm. I remember putting on my headphones. We were talking about hip-hop. I remember putting on these chunky headphones like this, and I would listen to 50 Cent, Get Rich or Die Trying, <laughs> as I would go and deliver papers in, in my local area. I would make three pounds per street and I would do five streets a week. Amazing. So it's 15 pounds a week. So that's what, like $20 now? Was that like the week. Daily Mail or something? That it you wasn't. It was like a local, it was like the Enfield Independent or something. It was okay. like one of these local newspapers. And all the other boys in my area they would get these papers from the company, but they would chuck them away instead of delivering them. So then I was the only kid who was trusted by the, the local newspaper to deliver. So they, yeah. they upped me to 25 pounds. <laughs> but anyway, so I started working when I was 14 and I would pay for my own phone bill. I, I paid for everything in, that I wanted as a, since I was 14 years old. Mm. And going back to meeting the monks, so I would go to hear CEOs, entrepreneurs, celebrities speak. Like, give me an example of who was speaking at the school. Was uh, it David had, Beckham? Was no, it, uh, no, no. We had everyone from, like, we had the, we had the founder of EasyJet, okay. who actually used to be a graduate from that school. We had the former CEO of Coca-Cola, who also was, went to that school. We had, who else was there? There was another gentleman who'd found this incredible new technology in the banking world. So there were a lot of founders yeah. and entrepreneurs. And so I'd go and hear people speak, and I was always fascinated to hear about their journeys. And then I found out that a monk was speaking and my friend had invited me. I didn't even know it was happening. And I was like, I'll go with you as long as we go to a bar afterwards. That was my- That was your primary concern. That was my deal. Yeah, that was my deal. I was like, I'm not going to get anything out of listening to a monk. I genuinely felt that way. And you were how old at that point? I was 18. 18, okay. Yeah. So I go to 
hear him speak. And it's one of those moments in life where you feel humiliated again by your own stupidity because mm. I walk in expecting nothing and I get everything. Like it's literally one of the most life-changing moments because here's this man who's given up success. So he actually, which I didn't know at the time, started learning about him. He'd given up jobs. He went to IIT, which is the MIT of India, mm. like the Indian Institute of Technology. He was top of his class. Wow really high performer and he gave it all up to be a monk and I was like either he's crazy or he's onto something right? or, like, or he's brilliant or he's brilliant right yeah, like yeah. who gives up yeah. the path of success that all of us wanted yeah. to be a monk and so I get fascinated by him and here he is boldly proclaiming that any skills and talents you have if you don't use it for the betterment of humanity you're wasting those talents so at 18 I'm going oh I just thought talents were about impressing women and and being successful, like I didn't realize that there was this whole service element to life. Because what were you like as an 18-year-old? Were you going to bars? Were you just having fun? Were you going to concerts, having fun with your friends? 18, like when, I, when I got into my teens, yeah, when I got into my teens, that's when I got my confidence. I lost a lot of weight, started working out, played a lot of sports. So I was feeling- you were dating like, a lot. Yeah, I was dating a lot. I've, I felt like I was at the, you know, at that time, I felt like I was at the peak of who I was. Right. Like, you know, and, and yeah, I was, I was definitely, I wouldn't say I was, I was arrogant at the time, but I was, I was confident with who I was. So it wasn't like I was seeking or searching. Mm. My life was okay. And I just got to a point where I was like, wow, he's got something. And, and this is how I think about it now. And it's the best way I can explain it, Scott, is that when I was that age, I'd met people who were rich. I'd met people who were famous. I'd met people who were beautiful. I'd met people who were powerful. Mm but I don't think I'd ever met anyone who was happy. And even if I ask you now to count on your hands or your fingers how many people you know in your life that you believe are truly happy, I guarantee you for everyone who's listening and it's watching, hard, yeah, it's, it's hard, hard. It like if hard. you really ask that question. Yeah. And I felt that from him. And the great thing is I know him now still. This is uh, 14 years after I met him. I'm, I st I'm still friends with him. I still talk to him. He's still as happy. Amazing. Like he, he's, he's kept it. He's got it. And and so, and so I don't you, just, you end up going to the bar after this talk. We do with the monk. I, I, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever asked for that. Okay. No, no, no. He would definitely not no, do that. He doesn't come to. You. Uh, and and I don't even think I drank that night because I was so I was just so Inspired, moved. Yeah. yeah. And so I started spending all my summer vacations and Christmas holidays living in India with him. So I'd spend half of them interning at finance companies because that's what I thought I was going to do. And so I'd be in bars, steakhouses, and wearing suits and working. This is what I find so fascinating because <laughs> it's such a juxtaposition, right? You're in bars, you're living the life of an 18-year-old, kind of probably a little bit mischievous. Very. And then you're sort of living as a monk on your summer holidays. Literally. So, and that was just a test. Like it's, yeah. it's, and this is what I recommend to everyone. Like When you're young, you have this, you don't judge yourself. Like, I didn't judge myself at that age and go, oh, no, now I'm living like a monk. That means I can't go back to that life. I was just like, look, let me just let myself learn, experiment, experience, and then I'll make a judgment as to what I prefer. So walk me through your daily life as a monk because yeah. I'm still... <laughs> I, I talk about being fascinated, but I'm still fascinated. Like, I have no idea. I know you're meditating five yeah. to six, seven hours a day. Can you speak to each other? Do you yes. look at TV? Do you have a phone? <laughs> What, what happens when, I mean, because obviously your whole lifestyle changes completely and I'm still sort of intrigued on how you would manage to juggle both because they're so polar opposite. Yeah, so that, at that time during the 18, age 18 to 22 period, it was just breaks and vacations and holidays. But when I turned 22, that's when I decided to turn down my job offers and actually live as a monk. So that's when I actually live as a real monk rather than just going for a month or two weeks. And so at that time, I'm waking up at 4 a.m. every day 
the collective meditation starts at 4.30. Oh. Private meditation starts at 5.15. You do that till about 7.30. 7.30 to 8.30, you have a class on these spiritual texts. You might have yoga thrown in there for about 20 minutes to half an hour as well. So I might like it. because I, I You like might yoga. like it. Yeah, you <laughs> might like it. And then at 8.30, you eat breakfast. Okay. So the hardest thing was getting used to waking up at 4 a.m. and not eating until 8.30. Right. Like, I was like, where's that cereal? Like, where's my frosting? Do you have, like, like, bunk beds? Like, what is the living Yeah, so you sleep, like? so you sleep on a thin mat okay. on the floor. Blanket or no blanket? Uh, you have a mosquito net. So in India, okay. you need these mosquito nets. Otherwise, you will literally be eaten alive. Mm. So... I remember, because we have shaved heads as well, I remember one of my friends, he had a freshly shaved head, and he slept, but he slept with his head right next to the net, like, you know, like right up close yeah. to it. The next morning he woke up, it looked like he had moon craters on his oh head. Like, God. it was just like, so So you sleep inside this mosquito net, and you just have a sheet, because it doesn't get that cold in India. Okay. It gets cold around December, January, but it's not that cold. So during December, January months, we'd have a thicker blanket. Okay. But but during those times, you just need a sheet and you're cool. But you have like shared quarters. Like you yeah, shared quarters. So you'd together. have like eight people in a room, okay. 12 people in a room. How many were in your room? Yeah, eight to 12 eight to at 12, a night. Okay. And, and you're not really, you're not, you don't have a place. Like it's not like that's my place and I sleep there. Right. You just put your mat down and wherever. go to sleep wherever it is. So you don't have that obsession or that attachment to like, that's my spot. Do you, have, do you have possessions spot. or do you not? Do you so own like one robe and like a cell phone? <laughs> do you have a cell phone? I mean, these are no. questions I, I So everything about, fits so. inside a gym locker okay. and we have a communal computer area. So there were communal computers in the ashram where if you're using a computer at a certain time, and these are like the slowest, oldest, most annoying computers of all time. They're not like fancy Mac laptops. It's dial up or something, right? I, 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 that I can't remember. But yeah, it probably is in <laughs> yeah, the, the area. AOL or something. Yeah, but it's like you're literally like these big chunky things and they're communal. The so... You know, when you're on them, everyone's if everyone else is using them, and you email your parents, and that's how you communicate okay. and things. Uh, See, I wouldn't even think that monks had computers, so that's even surprising. Yeah, to me. and and that I think was useful because I feel like that's not something. But again, you went in that room all day, right? right? right. It was like yeah. one of those things, like yeah. you barely spent any time in that room. Yeah. But for the sake of communication and the way the world has moved on, and you don't have any personal, so everything fits in a gym locker. So I have two sets of clothes. I have a ton of books. Uh, and you know, I mean, that's about that it, really. It. Like, that's it. Like, there's not much that you maybe have. a little hip hop. May- no, 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 no. I had to give that all <laughs> yeah, up. That right, was okay. that was hard at first. Okay. So the first week I went to live in the ashram after meeting the monk, the thing I was most scared of was not listening to hip hop and rap music. And I was like, how am I going to survive for a week? And I wasn't allowed to take my like, I think it was like a Game Boy or whatever I had. And and I went and I realized that I loved it. Like it was the first time in my life where I'd lived without stuff that I thought I needed. And when I came back after a week, I was like, wow, like that was amazing. Like I was so happy and my time was used so wisely and I got to do so many incredible things. Bearing in mind, we didn't have smartphones growing up. When I grew up, we didn't, you know, we didn't have the phones we have today. So, but still, I just felt like this amazing sense of relief and disconnection. And was, what was sort of appealing to you about that lifestyle early on? Because at that point you really hadn't sort of discover the concept of having wisdom go viral yeah. and using your knowledge to help other people. And I know you speak a lot about gratitude and serving other people, and we'll talk about that. But at that point, it was just, it's a lifestyle. You were inspired by the monk, but I don't think sort of helping other people yet because the internet hadn't even really come into play at that point. Yeah, so, so we were helping people in different ways. Like we were feeding kids who, who didn't have food. We were building food distribution programs. We were helping the homeless. So there was still service, okay. even if it wasn't through it video. It was a different kind of service. Correct. Yeah. And when I'd come back in between after my summer holidays, I ran a society at university 
called Think Out Loud. Okay. So every single week, I'd set up this society where about, at the beginning, 10 students, and by the end of it, 100 students would gather to hear me speak about psychology, spirituality, philosophy, and science. That was after you... This was during my time at oh, university. Time. Okay. So I would take a movie... At that time, I think it was movies like, obviously, The Matrix, but then Adjustment Bureau and Inception. And I would dissect these movies mm. for students based on philosophy, psychology, spirituality, and science. And so I started teaching straight away. So everything I would learn from the monastery, I would then teach it that week when I'd get back uh, to students that were coming to my university. So you already had experience getting into the public speaking thing and motivational speaking. Yes. Yeah, so and I heard spoken word was something that you because maybe tied into the rap thing a little bit, right? For sure. So um, my parents forced me to go to public speaking and drama school when I was 14 because they wanted me to be less shy. And I had the tools then when I finished at 18. But when I found this wisdom that I learned through the monks, I was like, now I got excited about sharing it. Mm. So then I was speaking for three hours a week doing these mini workshops at university for free, no followers, no branding, no marketing, right, right, right. no no course, right. none of that stuff, Just just me and people. But the basic building blocks of what you do now, it started there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. hundred percent. Like I just got such a taste for sitting with people's pain, understanding their challenges and wanting to help them with what I was learning. So you're living with the monks till 25, 26. Yeah. You learn a vast amount of knowledge that you know, you'll go on to, to really spread around the world and the universe. But at 26, you then have to leave and integrate back into society. Yeah. What's that like? Because once you're completely detached from culture for three years, and then you have to go back into it, and I'm assuming you had no money, because do, how, how do, do, do monks make money? I mean, I don't understand. No, like, so monks Sorry for some of these basic no, questions. No, they're great. But, no, but these I feel are like great. Uh, these are I, questions that no one really knows. Keep these, co- I, I didn't keep know, these coming. Yeah, so. uh, monks do service, and their service has donations. Okay. So it's, it's almost like sponsorships from multiple people in the community so that you can do the work. But you don't own any money. Like, you don't have a bank account. You don't have like a, a savings account. You don't have money in your pocket. Like it doesn't work like that. Like all the money that is received from a charitable it's point communal, of view. Communal, in a sense. Yeah, is, right. and is used back in for the charity. Yeah. So, and that's why you're wearing robes and you're eating what you're given. You don't have a menu to choose from every right. day. Like, well, What do you eat, by the way? Is so, it porridge or something? Or yeah, like in the morning yeah. it can be, you know, when and I traveled, I lived in London and, and Europe as a monk too. And so when you're in Western countries, mainly you're eating oatmeals and porridges, right. et cetera. Yeah. But in India, you'd eat something called flat rice. It's, okay. it's um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's really, yeah, it's flat rice. It's That's just it's, rice. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, like, it's like this flattened rice, sometimes with potatoes in it. It's like it's an all, Indian It's an dish. all vegan meal? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It's, it's, right. And it's a, it's a plant-based dish. And, and so you're eating simple foods. You're eating a lot of vegetable curry, so a lot of greens. Uh, especially in India, because sure. I mean, those are being grown there on the yeah. on the farms as well, and so and you're eating a lot of dals, so lentils, okay. a lot of lentil soups and things like that. And did you become vegan then for the rest of your life? You sort of made a conscious effort so to I, to eat vegan and be vegan at that. So point? I became vegetarian when I was fourteen, fifteen years old, from a moral standpoint, just just where I was growing up. So I used to walk past the butchers every day when I was on my way home from school. And one day I had this moment where I was like, oh, wait a minute, like that chicken hanging there. Like they used to literally hang the animals in yeah. there, you know. Disgusting. And I was like, yeah, and I was like, oh, that animal is the same thing I'm eating. And I hit that hit me at 15. And so I chose to be vegetarian. I became plant-based when I married my wife. I was going to say, because so, your wife is yeah, a chef, yeah. a plant-based chef. Yeah, my wife's a plant-based chef and yeah. recipe developer and she's amazing. And so... 
we got married four years ago. We've been together for about seven years. And that was the time when I was like, I really wanted to be fully plant-based. And so that that was the switch I made with her. Awesome. Um, I want to talk about integrating back into culture after living like a monk. We'll be back in just a moment (laughs) with Jay. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. We're back with the incredible Jay Shetty. Jay, um, we were just talking before the break about integrating back into culture after living like a monk. Were there things, by the way, that you couldn't do as a monk besides listening to hip-hop <laughs> that you really missed? That you're like, you know, I really missed going to football. I know football is a huge thing in London. Yeah. Or listening to music or just obviously interpersonal relations. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't know. If it's such a basic thing, but I don't know if everyone really knows what you can and can't do when you're living sort of in a religious sort of spectrum in that yeah, sense, yeah. right? Yeah. So, the, I mean, the basics are, you know, like um, plant-based diet, no intoxication, um, no relationships. No like, weed, obviously. Yeah, no weed. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. that counts in the no intoxication. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and no gambling. Like those are like right. the basics of it. And obviously you're in a monastery. So it's not like those things are like even within mm-hmm. reach. Like there's not like a casino right next right, to the right. monastery. What know, about so. television? Is that There's allowed? no television. There's okay. no television. So Movie, I, Movies are not allowed. Movies are not allowed. Okay. So I had no idea. I didn't know. I remember not knowing who won the World Cup. I'm a massive football soccer fan. Yeah. Like I had no idea who'd won the World Cup. Mm. I, I was totally out of touch with that kind of stuff. Yeah. And obviously I could Google it if I wanted to, but after a while you start realizing that I'm missing the point if yeah. that's the stuff I'm Googling. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, what's the point? So you naturally become disconnected from it, not because you're trying to, and this is what's so beautiful about trying alternative lives, and it's called the higher taste. It's like we think we're addicted and obsessed with stuff mm. because that's all we know. But if someone offered you something better and you got to experience it, you trade any day. So the best example I like to give is, let's say you're driving whatever car you drive right now, and I'm not picking on any cars, but name a car model that's kind of like, you'd be happy with the 18, but not when you're 28 or 38. Oh, like a Prius, Okay, let's take a Prius. Okay, no offense offense to anyone who has a Prius. But let's say you have a Prius, and, and that's great, right? You're not complaining about it. But let's say someone offered you a Benz or or a BMW or, or a whatever it is, you would trade right. if, if it was offered to you. And that's my point that sometimes we don't know what life is on offer to us. So for me, it wasn't like, oh my God, I'm giving all this stuff up. You didn't feel like you were missing out on anything. I didn't feel like I was missing yeah. out on anything. But I'll tell you, now, now come back to your question. When I did come back, the first thing I did was buy a ton of chocolate because <laughs> right. I love chocolate especially British chocolate, like dairy milk from ch- from, yeah. from the UK. It is oh, it's and so And probably good. turn on the football, I would imagine. Yeah, so that. yeah. So, so football, I'm, I'm, I'm fully in love with football. Yeah. Hip-hop, do you know what? It's interesting, and I still love hip-hop, but that was something, I, music was something I never truly ever got back into. I fell in love with silence a lot. Mm. So now even I can drive in silence. I can hang out in silence. Like silence has become a big part of my life in a positive way. So I, will, so I won't bring you to a rock concert with me. No, not rock. Okay. You can take me to a hip-hop concert. Okay. I saw, you know, if you ever want to take me to one of your clients' concerts, you let okay. me know. But, uh, okay. but, the, but the, the first thing I did was go and buy a ton of chocolate. True story. I ate a lot of chocolate because I hadn't eaten chocolate for three years. It's incredible. And, and yeah, watching football, I remember getting back into football and I did listen to music. You're right. I did listen to music and movies. I'm a big movie yeah. junkie too. I love yeah. movies. So that was the stuff I got back into. But very quickly, I realized that that wasn't going to help me integrate mm. because that was just feeding my old likes again. But integration was far more me figuring out what was I going to do for work right what was i gonna actually do because had, I was, you, had you thought about that while you in, in your time sort of serving when i decided to leave that's when i started thinking about it but i think i 
underestimated how hard it was going to be. So when I came back, I had $25,000 worth of debt from my student loan. Like I said, my parents aren't well off that they were going to pay for me for the rest of my right. life. And they didn't have tons of stuff to give me. And then on top of that, I got rejected from 40 companies because surprise, surprise, no one wants to hire someone who's been a monk for three years. Right. So like literally- It's four, on your resume. Literally, you know? so on my resume. And 40 yeah. companies literally said no to me because they were just, before an interview, like I didn't even get an interview, just my resume turned people off. So now I'm sitting there going, well, what am I gonna do? And so every day I used to get up, I used to meditate, and I used to go to the library, and I would sit in the library and I would read Vedic texts, so the text that I study as a monk, which I talk about and think like a monk, and then I would read books about self-development and personal growth. Mm. And I would look at these two books together and I would try and put these two worlds together and be like, all right, I need to learn about what's happened in the world, what did I miss? And I need to apply everything I learned as a monk. Right. And I can genuinely say that for my three years at monk school, the last seven years have been the exam. And every test I've passed is because of everything I learned as a monk. Incredible. And that's what I put all in the book. I'm like, actually what I learned as a monk, all the companies thought I had no transferable skills. I'm convinced that actually what I learned as a monk was everything I needed to f- to focus on at life. So at some point, okay, so you move back in with your parents. Yeah. You're 26. You have yeah. debts. And you're like, I think I can take this wisdom and there might be a way with this new technology because the technology at that point, was it up to par? I mean, was there YouTube? Was it starting at that point? Because yeah. to be honest, you only started doing these videos about four years ago. Yeah. And you're, it's like, what, four billion views now and Seven, most popular yeah. person on Facebook and the number one health and wellness podcast in the world. So it's a pretty impressive leap coming from someone that really just started this four years ago, right? Yeah, and it was, and that's why I feel like, you know, and I told you this, that I feel like I started this 14 years ago. Mm. So it's four years online, but there's 10 years of offline work that no one can see or track or document because I just didn't have a video camera right, on right. me. But the interesting thing is that actually when I came back, the first thing I did was I finally, on my 41st attempt, got a job at Accenture. So I took a stable, secure city job because I thought this is going to help me get my life together sure. again. Get out of debt. Exactly. Yeah. All of that kind of stuff. And like, I don't have to leech off my parents for longer. Yeah. Now, the amazing thing that happened is they were training the people that performed the best in social media and digital because that was having a moment in the corporate world. Mm. So I got exposed to that. And thankfully, I started becoming one of the top social media persons at Accenture in the world. And now Accenture, for anyone who doesn't know, is a global consulting firm. When I was there, we had 400,000 employees across the world. They now have over 500,000 employees. And that company just exposed me to social media, digital, and helped me learn so much. So I was that kid in a candy store getting just like learning about this. And I could see, I was like, oh, wow, these tools and technologies are really powerful to share messages. And we were using it to talk about digital and technology. Sure. To apply to the company. Totally. But I was like, what if I could learn this to then talk about the stuff I want to talk about? Right, right. And so what happened is I spent two years at that company. And after two years at the company, I decided that I wanted to give making wisdom go viral a go. Mm. And me and my friend made four videos together. We were out in the city of London and I posted the first video on YouTube, 2016, 3rd Jan. And the video got like 5,000 views in 24 hours, which wasn't terrible at all. And what was the video about? It was three lessons from the Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita is the book that I quote a lot from. It's a 5,000 year old text that has incredible wisdom for how we live life. 
So it was three lessons from that. The book, the, the, the video did pretty well, 5,000 views. I was pretty happy. Were you in the video? Was your I was in the video. I was okay. talking in the video. Okay. It's, me, it's me riffing in the video, okay. spoken word style. Yeah. And then in 30 days, I'd got 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. Mm. And all my friends were like, okay, so this is the peak, right? Like, this is kind of how far it's going to get. <laughs> right. Like, you know, you're like, you're like and, and it's like, you could see it. Like, the first week, I got 250 subscribers. Second week, I got 250. Third week, I got 250. Fourth week, I got 250. And the week after, I think I got like 200. So okay. it's kind of doing, you know, yeah. it's kind of like doing this. And you end up being in this situation where everyone's kind of like, oh, I think we've got to where it's going to be. What, what was beautiful that happened is my chief HR officer at Accenture she saw the video. Now, she's one of the most senior people in the company. I'm still just some new kid on the block, but good at social media in the company. She sees the video and she shows it to Ariana Huffington right. at Davos. So they're at Davos together. She shows it to Ariana Huffington, goes, check this guy out. He works in my company. And thankfully, Ariana Huffington fell in love with the content. And so then she said, well, she said, basically, Long story short, because there was a lot of in between. But she that was said, like your first big break. Really. That was my first big break. She was yeah. the first public figure to be like, we're going to share your videos on the Huffington Post. Which was major at the time. Totally. And yeah. we're going to be like, let's see where it goes. So they shared my first video and it got a million views in a week. Amazing. They shared my second video and it got a million views in a day. Wow. And that video went on to get like 30 million views and like 120 million views across platforms with different accounts. And so 2016, mid-2016, Ariana Huffington invites me to work in New York for the Huff Post as a senior host and producer. And so I moved to New York. Now just- Were you so, still in debt at that point? Were you starting to make I money? I was still paying off my student loan because I was working at Accenture. Okay. But I was, that year, I, yeah, I, I was finally out of debt, but I've been paying off because I was doing okay at Accenture. I moved country, I got married, and I changed job two to three times in that year. Wow. And like we should talk crazy. about where to meet your wife, just that's an interesting part of your story, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. So I met my wife before I became a monk. Okay. So I met my wife at a temple in London, which I attended and where I would go for training and service and go for, kind of like going to church. Yeah. And I would go to this temple and I was asked to teach people how to do voluntary service at the temple. And that was kind of one of the things I used to do in my breaks. And so I met this lady who was about my mom's age and I had to show her around. Now, this is the, I have to tell this part of the story because it's really important. This is the only time in my life at that temple that I've ever been asked to show someone how to do this particular voluntary service. Mm. And it happens to this woman who's my mom's age. And I show her around. She's very pleasant. And, and I was like, oh, I thought nothing of it. And I've never been asked to do that again. Now, she says to me, she goes, I've got a daughter. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I can see where this is yeah, going. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a daughter that I'd love to introduce to you to get more involved in spirituality and meditation. And I was like, and I knew I was going to become a monk about a year from then. Like it was in my head. I wanted mm. to do it. And I said to her, I said, oh, I'll introduce you to my sister because I've, I'm doing other stuff. <laughs> I was trying to stay out of trouble. Yeah. I didn't know who her daughter was. Yeah. And so I had no idea that her yeah. daughter would go on to be my wife. And she usually doesn't most beautiful work out person. like that. It yeah. And she's really. one of the most beautiful, you know, <laughs> most beautiful person in the world and yeah. all the rest of it. So, so I introduced her to my sister. So my sister and my now wife become best friends then. And my sister is also highly into meditation and spirituality, so she connects. And then my wife attends a lot of my seminars that I'm doing and workshops that I'm doing before I become a monk, as I'm a monk. And then when I leave the ashram, my sister comes up to me and she goes to me, she goes, you know, you know, she likes you. And I was like, great, I like her too. And so we ended up spending a lot of time when I left. We were part of a team of young people in London that organized a big anti-racism event. Uh, and we were doing this event and we weren't dating at the time, but she was on the team. I was on the team. There were other six people our age. And 
I loved watching my wife now, but at that time, this girl, in an environment where we weren't dating. Right. So my belief system is, is that the worst way to meet people are dates and interviews. Mm. Because best both people are just putting forward their best face right. and their best version. And it's never where, usually the real person that it's you're never, saying. It's never. Whereas, like, uh, whereas when we were serving on this team as volunteers together, I could see how she treated everyone. Right, right. I could see how she treated people who were had good ideas, people who had bad ideas, people who weren't mm-hmm. were cu- weren't cutting, you know, weren't doing the work. So watching her with these people, I, I fell in love with just who she was. And so then when we started dating, we kind of felt like we really knew each other because we'd seen each other in a non-dating environment. And we should talk about, I was talking to you just a few moments ago about how you treat people as a reflection of who, you know, because you did a great video that I watched, I think this morning about, there's a guy in an Uber and he's not being so respectful to the driver. And it turns out that that driver a year later becomes the person that he's interviewing with for a job. So the way you treat people is sort of a reflection of, and so that's part of what, what, you know, basically a lot of what you've learned as a monk when you share these, they're, they're like, what are they, five-minute videos, I yeah. would say, that seem to go viral. People really take to the fact that, you know, they've learned so much from the fact that you're, you're giving this wisdom that, that you've learned for the last 10 years. In, yeah. and, and, that, and so it's a, it's a great uh, sort of a parallel story to how you met your wife and whatnot, which is great. Yeah, and it's the simple, you know, the messages are simple, but our life is made up of simple moments. Right. Like, you don't win an award every day. Yeah. You don't get a promotion every day. True, true. You don't you don't like sell a huge company every day. You don't get a hit record every day. Yeah. Those are big moments. No question. But you talk to people every day. You have arguments every day. You wake up feeling sad every day. Like these are like common things. And so life is in the small moments. And so I try and keep the messages really simple, really easy to understand. I'm not trying to come across as an intellectual or an expert. I'm just trying to speak from my heart. Because I'm like, that's where life is really lived. And one point, one of your videos got 365 million views, right? Yeah, one of what, them. Yeah. What was that video? That video was a video where I'm talking about not rushing people's timelines. Okay. So I feel like we've got, and I was just speaking to someone this week. They're like 25 years old and they feel the pressure to be a successful entrepreneur mm. and have a multi-million dollar business by age 30. And I'm like, why do you feel that pressure? Yeah. But I feel like now, like, you know, when you're 21, you've got a pressure. Why don't I have a million followers yet? When you're 18, you've got a pressure like, why am I not a TikTok star yet, right? It's like, there are just so much pressure. And that video was all about how like, some of the most successful people in the world became successful at 40, at 50, at 60, at 70. Like yeah. there is no timeline on success. Don't rush it. Don't rush it. Yeah. And don't let anyone rush you. Yeah. Because that's one of the biggest mistakes we make is we go, oh, my friend's already got this. I need to do it. And when you start living as a reflection of other people, you're not living the life you want. You're living the life they want. No question. So that's what the video is about. Do you think there's a pressure associated now with social media? There's so many influencers. It's kind of what I do. Obviously, it's my world. And I feel like there are people don't really talk about the fact that there's this unspoken pressure that comes along with that for a living. Obviously, with what you do, yeah. you have to produce content on a, probably a weekly basis. So talk about for a moment So the, the pressures of dealing with social media content and something that people don't really talk about. They don't think it's like a real thing. Like there really is a pressure that's attached to social media and what it becomes, especially if it's how you make a living. Yeah. So we meet, we make 12 videos a month and eight podcasts a month. It's a lot. It's like it's 20 of, pieces of content. And your podcast is now number one. I don't know if it's in the world or yeah, in Yeah, it's health number one health podcast yeah, in the world. Amazing. Uh, it's number five on the top 200 global podcasts from global reach point of view. We're Incredible. the number one 
podcast in India on Spotify. It's called On Purpose. On Purpose, yeah. And Russell it's, Brand, uh, Jada Pickett. I mean, who, who y- you had? Yeah, we've had, um, so we've been really grateful. And again, they're all friends. So that's been a beautiful thing about the podcast. So yeah, Russell Brand's been on the podcast. Jada Pinkett Smith's been on the podcast. Uh, we've had, we were very fortunate last year to have Kobe Bryant on the podcast. Uh, Ray Dalio, Yuval Noah Harari, if you've read Homodeus or Sapiens. We've had Khloe Kardashian, um, Eva Longoria. Everyone. Like it's been, and, and these are all wonderful friends and people that I love and I have a great relationship with and they come and open their heart because they know it's not a place where I'm trying to talk about gossip or right, right. we're not, we don't do that. We're talking about purpose. Definitely. And so people get to really open up their heart. So Definitely. yeah, it's, it, what's really interesting about the whole, whole journey, to be honest, Scott, is that I stumbled into this world. So I didn't know when I started that any of this was going to happen. And I didn't have a strategy when I started. I was one of those fortunate people where things aligned and when they aligned and I got the momentum, I never took my foot off the pedal. Mm. So as soon as I saw there was an opportunity, I was like, pedal. I am yeah. all in now. Yeah, so yeah. I didn't, get, I didn't, I think this is what happens in life. Like we wait for that opportunity, but then when you get the opportunity, then you sit back and go, oh, mate, I've done it now. Yeah. Whereas for me, it was like, I saw the opportunity. I've still never taken my foot off the pedal. I'm all in on this and I'm committed to this because I see it as my responsibility and this, and I see it as like a real opportunity to serve and help people. No question. And I feel I've been gifted it. So I, I take it very seriously. And let's talk about the fact, like being an entrepreneur for you now, it's got to be a much different thing than obviously where you came from. So, I mean, what does that mean to you now in this space? And obviously you're building this huge media company. So talk about being an entrepreneur now from where you came from. Yeah. So first point is I never believed I was an entrepreneur and I never thought I wanted to be one. Because in my heart of hearts, I'm an artist first. In my heart of hearts. I'm a content creator. I'm a thinker. I'm a visionary. I'm an artist. That's who I really identify with being. But what I realized very quickly was, if you just wanted to be that, and you were going to wait to find people to spot your talent, teach you everything about business, and make every decision for you, it was never going to happen. And I think a lot of artists are waiting to be found and discovered and managed and molded and that their agent's going to change their life. And I'm like, that doesn't work like that. You have to do the work yourself. You have to do the work yourself. And so- It's very well said, by the way, for someone that actually is in the position helping people and doing that, a lot of people think they don't have to do the work, but you- 100% 100% have to do the work yourself. Well, yeah, and I just meet yeah. so many people. And I love my manager. I love my agents. Yeah. I've got a great team of people around me. But they are able to do more for me when I do more for myself. So well said. And and I find that so many people, and me included, at one point, I was waiting. I thought, someone's going to find me, and then they're going to like change my career and change my life. And guess what? That didn't happen. Yeah. And I realized that I had to invent, and I had to create, and I had to push. So becoming an entrepreneur for me was learning Because I was like, I don't want to be left behind and I don't want to be the person that doesn't reach my potential, Mm. which means I'm going to have to learn skills I never thought. Now, funny story, when I was 16 and I was hanging out in the wrong circles, I used to import jackets from China and sell them at school and all of this kind of stuff. So I was like, I had a a hustler. I had had that in me, but I forgot that. Mm. And this is what happens that when you go to school and university and family, you forget what your natural dial was. So for me, I started reading books. I started spending time with people who were successful in the area I wanted to learn. Sure. I went and shadowed people. I got mentored by people. Did you intern at all? I, I didn't intern afterwards, but I interned a lot when I was uh, at college and university. But then since then, like in the last few years, I think it's mainly been picking up the phone to people, mm. getting to know people. And this is what I've realized. 
if you're putting out content and people can see you, they're more likely to pick up the phone and connect. And I had this experience where I went out to someone and they didn't realize I recognized them. So I got invited on this podcast in New York and it was an influencer from LinkedIn. And he didn't know I knew him because he, he found me a different way and booked me through someone else. But when he met me, I was like, dude, I know you. I see your content on LinkedIn. Right. And, and he, met, you know, he was shocked that I even knew who he was. But yeah. I was like, I've seen you. I see how you tell stories. And yeah. I think you're going to grow and become an incredible LinkedIn thinker one day. Yeah. But I see it now and I'm like, I was more likely. Whereas if that was someone I'd never heard of, I probably wouldn't have gone on. Yeah, yeah. And so I feel like when you're putting out content, when you're creating and sharing what your perspective is, you're more likely to attract the right energy around you rather than when you're waiting for someone to just discover you. No question. So at what point did this turn into like a real business view? Because the videos start going viral. You know, yeah. this company starts building for you. So at what point did it change from like Huffington Post, the videos are going viral, but there probably wasn't sort of a monetary Thing associated with what you're doing early on, except maybe Ariana was paying you. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I don't think you really monetize it in the first probably few months, right? I, I didn't make money from this for two years properly. So 2016, September to 2017, March, I was with HuffPost. 2017, I left to, to build on my own because I was like, I need to invest in myself and I need to grow. And Ariana left to start Thrive Global and she's an amazing friend. And so when I did that, I was four months away from being broke in New York in 2017. And I literally had enough for four months of rent and groceries. And that was it. Plus, because I left, I had 30 days in which to renew my visa, wow. which cost $15,000. And in 30 days, if I didn't renew my visa, I would have got kicked out of the country. So not only am I dealing with the pressure of being broke in four months, I'm also dealing with the pressure. I've got 30 days and my visa could still get canceled. Right. Like I may not get it. And so I have never been in a, like more anxiety and pressure from a yeah. career standpoint till that moment. That was 2017, three years ago. And I have to be honest, I had one mentor who'd always say to me, when you're in pain, you'll actually reach your potential. Mm. And I would always be like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm proactive. I'm proactive. I'd always be like, no, no, no. And when I was in so much pain that year, I realized how much I was capable of doing. Like mm. I never believed I was capable of doing what I've done since then. And it all happened because I was literally in a position where I had nothing so left. You kind of have to hit rock bottom to realize your potential. Well, I don't think you have to, but I think unfortunately for a lot of us, we don't really get going. We're like in gear two or three. We don't really get into gear five until we hit gear one, right? right? Like we True. just, and so for me, it was like that, that feeling. And what happened is I started to test different business ideas and models to see what I enjoyed making money from. Because what I said to myself is, I've worked so hard to create content that I love to help people. And what I said to myself was this, I want to monetize my head so that I can make content from my heart. So I didn't want to start just having tons of branded sponsorships on my videos, right. but I wanted to find a way. So one of the best things that we created was that we added a lot of things. So in 2018, I launched my podcast, which is amazing. It's free for everyone, as you yeah. know. Yeah. But we also have some incredible sponsors right. that are able to get behind. And we have a really selective process over who we work with. And then you need, you know, there's a cost associated with this stuff. Obviously, you have to pay a staff. It costs money. Totally. People don't realize and, and I think that's... I'm really, people sitting here. You know. I'm really glad you brought that up. <laughs> I don't think people realize when I want to make good videos for you to watch... I want to do like new sets and new styles. Mm -hmm. Like we shot two videos last year at an aeroplane set in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, it's so like, cool, but it costs a lot of money. Of and it's course. like, so I want to do that for you. And, and I know that has impact and they get, you know, people watch those videos. So we launched my coaching program too and my courses. 
And those have actually been so beautiful because- So talk about those. How yeah. do people sign up? How do, you know. Yeah, so I launched two courses. One's called Passion to Paycheck. It's me really breaking down for people. How do you really figure out what you're passionate about? How do you become an expert in it? And how do you turn that into a paycheck? Mm. How do you turn that into a business? Because I think most people don't know the basic business models that are available. The other course that I have is called my Genius Coaching Program. So my Genius Coaching Program is my monthly coaching program where people every single week turn up and I do a live coaching session for 45 minutes. I lead, lead a live meditation. Amazing. I do a live curriculum that I've built and I do a Q&A every single week with my private coaching community. I want to take that. Yeah, it's amazing. I'll, yeah. I'll add you to yeah, it. And, awesome. and it's amazing because we now have thousands of members from over 140 countries and we have meetups in 100 cities. So these are groups of people meeting up to connect, to talk to each other, to bond. And the stories from that group, like people have literally been like, Jay, this group helped me break through depression. This group helped me get over my divorce. This group stopped me from committing suicide. Like the stories are just phenomenal. Wow. I read a really interesting Harvard Business Study not long ago with some great questions. Some last questions that I want to ask you before yeah. you go. Uh, this is a pleasure because obviously on the treadmill, like I said, I can't <laughs> get into all this stuff with you. You have so much wisdom and uh, I think you're an incredible guy. So we'll be right back just a moment with Jay. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, we're back with the one and only. So um, we were talking right before the break. When you're 50, Jay, you're 32. 32 now. When you're 50, what do you hope to accomplish? Uh, the, the goal would be that we've been able to entertain and educate a billion people. So it's how do we use entertainment as a vehicle to transform people's lives? And so how are we creating movies, TV shows, documentaries that entertain, but then giving people the habits and tools to practically live all those things. Mm. And I think that's the part of the journey that's missing right now. There are a lot of great entertainment documentaries and shows, but then it's like people go back to living the way they do because they right. don't know how to make it real. No or there's a lot of courses in education, but it's not entertaining enough. Mm -hmm. And so my goal is to be that hybrid, to, to play that role in between the two and to make wisdom mainstream, but also deep. And what would you say the greatest accomplishment of your life is? So far? Or? So far, so far. We know there's um, a lot to come, but... I think the greatest accomplishment of my life is having built really deep, meaningful friendships with the people I admire and love and respect so much. I think that I'm just really grateful. The the people that supported my book, like just, just a few, like uh, Will and Jada, um, Ellen, Ray Dalio, Ariana Huffington, Deepak Chopra, I mean, they, that kind of love and respect from people that I love and respect so much, like that's just, I mean, that is something that... I can't even, yeah, I feel humbled by it. I feel really grateful for it. Check out all of Jay's incredible videos. Something like 4 billion views at this point, right? It's constantly We're seven changing. seven now. Seven. Yeah, it's seven. seven. It's insane. Yeah, check yeah, out yeah. the podcast because it's incredible. Thank you, man. And check out the website and definitely sign up for the courses. Yeah, thank you, Because you have to add me to one of those courses. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So we're going to hang in the, you know, I can't say where we live, but we, <laughs> we live in close proximity. So we'll be hanging. I'll come to the courses. And hey, man, this was an absolute pleasure. It's a pleasure, man. Thank so you, So happy to have you here. Yeah, this was awesome. a great conversation. Thank Thanks you, again. Man. Thanks, Thanks so much. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots' tagline is highest quality, 
honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more, more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for a great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out, at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. And, uh, yeah, coming to you live from WeWork today. And so the show will return next week. And uh, have a great week, guys. My name is Zach Selwyn. You may remember me as a host from ESPN, Attack of the Show, or even Immortalized, that competitive taxidermy show on AMC. We lasted one episode. Anyway, three times a week, I'm bringing you the realest fake news of the day. It's the Saturday Night Live News Desk, but in an audible format. Listen to the Audio Up News Network on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hey there. Hey, Dennis Quaid is here. That's right. And guess what? I have a podcast. It's called The Denaissance, and I think you should listen. I'm having some really cool conversations with some really interesting people like music legend Billy Ray Cyrus, housewife of Beverly Hills, Garcelle Bouvet, and many, many more. Listen to The Denaissance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. do y'all i'm uncle drank star of the ballad of uncle drank it is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts